Hello, I'm John Eldridge, and welcome to the Ransomed Heart audio podcast. For more information on Ransomed Heart Ministries, our resources, and events, please visit us online at www.ransomedheart.com. Hi, this is John Eldridge, and welcome to the Ransomed Heart podcast. What we are doing over this series is exploring the personality of Jesus, his playfulness, his cunning, his scandalous freedom. There is absolutely no one and nothing that is more captivating than Jesus when you can see him as he really is. And to know Jesus as he really is, is to fall in love with him. Now, what happens then is the enemy knows that and his number one project in this world is to keep people from knowing Jesus as he really is, to present to the world distorted views of Jesus. In fact, this is what John warns us about in his first epistle in 1 John chapter 4. He warns that the primary work of the enemy is presenting distorted images of Christ to the world, and it's been very effective. All of the bizarre and super religious and strangely spiritual and two-dimensional views that even good people who adore Jesus still struggle with and were hold to because they think that that's what he was like. And so what we're doing in this series, I am reading some excerpts from a new book called Beautiful Outlaw, discovering the playful, extravagant, disruptive personality of Jesus, which comes out this October. And so let's explore Jesus together. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. From Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus came to reveal God to us. He is the defining word on God, on what the heart of God is truly like, on what God is up to in the world, and on what God is up to in your life. An intimate encounter with Jesus is the most transforming experience of human existence. To know him as he is, is to come home, to have his life Joy, love, and presence cannot be compared. A true knowledge of Jesus is our greatest need and our greatest happiness. To be mistaken about him is the saddest mistake of all. Now, he didn't go to the lengths of the incarnation to then hide from us for the next 2,000 years. There's a popular Let's get real and authentic teaching that hopes to help us with our struggles by making it all right that God is distant, that we must struggle on with only a few whispers from him. And while that is comforting, sort of, does it really bring people to a regular experience of Jesus? That's what Christianity is supposed to do. From the very first day, we were there taking it all in. We heard it with our own ears, saw it with our own eyes, verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you, 
in the most sober prose that what we witness was incredibly this, the infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us, this experience of communion with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. From 1 John chapter 1, The Message. The records of Christ are written so you can experience him as they did, this intimate connection with the Father and the Son. John says that you can enjoy the same friendship with Jesus that he knew. For this, Jesus came. So, if you do not know Jesus Christ as a person, know his remarkable personality, playful, cunning, fierce, impatient with all that is religious, kind, creative, irreverent, funny, you have been cheated. If you do not experience Jesus intimately, daily, in these very ways, if you do not know the comfort of his actual presence, do not hear his voice speaking to you personally, you have been robbed. And if you do not know the power of his indwelling life in you, shaping your personality, healing your brokenness, enabling you to live as he did, you have been plundered. So this is why we pray. Jesus, show me who you really are. I pray for the true you. I want the real you. I ask you for you. Spirit of God, free me in every way to know Jesus as he really is. Open my eyes to see him. Deliver me from everything false about Jesus and bring me what is true. The missing essential, his personality. Email and texting have gotten me into a lot of trouble. The reason is simple. Those who receive my electronic missives cannot hear my tone of voice or see the expression on my face as they interpret my words. A very dangerous vacuum. Disembodied words have a way of being haunted. Too many times I've sent along something intended as playful, but without that twinkle in my eye or the slight grin on my face so essential to understanding my intentions, my readers have taken the playful comments seriously and been hurt by it. Sometimes I have intended a word of correction, but it was dashed off in a hurry and again without the smile and reassuring tone of voice so essential to convey my heart, the message came across as harsh. This is the vacuum many of us bring to the Gospels. Without Jesus' tone of voice, what was in his eyes? The lift of an eyebrow, a suppressed smile, a tilt of the head, an unflinching gaze. We misinterpret a great deal of what we find there. Reading the Gospels without the personality of Jesus is like watching television with the sound turned off. You get a very dry, two-dimensional person doing strange, undecipherable things. Take this story as but one example. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. 
He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour, from Matthew chapter 15. Oh my, what do we make of this? I'm not here for you dogs. Many good people read this passage, cringe, and walk away with a subtle conviction that Jesus is a harder man than they thought, and, well, I guess that hardness is good somehow. Some go on to build theologies based on his hardness. But, of course, if Jesus was being playful, well, that would change everything. Seriously now, what comes to mind when you think of Jesus? It might be good to stop and do an inventory. Is Jesus near or far? Is he close at hand, right here at your elbow, or distant and engaged in loftier things? Does he have a sense of humor? What words would you use to describe him? If you gathered the many books on Jesus and combed them for the words used most often to describe him, you can guess beforehand what you would get. Loving and compassionate. Beautiful qualities and certainly true of Jesus, but two-dimensional, especially when we color these virtues with religious tones. Love turns sickly sweet and compassion soft and limp. How is it possible to genuinely and consistently love anything so two-dimensional, loving and compassionate? It's like trying to love a get-well card. Young writers are encouraged to find their voice because it is personality that distinguishes a good novel from a phone book. Both are filled with words, but only one is worth reading. Personality is what distinguishes real music from elevator music. Both are made up of notes. Only one is worth listening to. Think of the people you've loved most and trusted. Why did you love and trust them so? Was it because of one quality, or was it the funky, endearing combination of all those qualities that together made them who they were? Personality is what makes someone someone, and not everyone or anyone. You simply cannot love Lincoln or Charlemagne like you love your closest and dearest friend. Though historic figures might be admirable, you cannot love them because you do not know them. They're far too removed from your personal experience to win or sustain your true love. Actual experiences of their personalities is something no one ever really gets. But when it comes to friends, family, lovers, we love them because of who they are, because of their personality. And my goodness, we love our pets because of their personalities. The fact that your cat sits on your head and licks your ear to wake you, or that your dog has a taste for ginger snaps and underwear. Last May, I had the opportunity while in London to visit the National Gallery, loving art and being with two of my sons, one of whom is an art major. I was excited to spend hours there. I loved the Van Gogh, the Monet, the Rembrandt paintings, and more. 
But there was one massive disappointment. No, it was more than disappointment, massive frustration. I did not see one portrait of Christ in all the famous works of him that came anywhere close to depicting Jesus as he really is. Not one. They are all of a wispy, pale Jesus looking haunted, a ghost-like figure floating through life, making strange gestures and undecipherable statements. The nativity scenes were particularly ridiculous. The classic art depicting the infant, themes now repeated on Christmas cards and in the crash scenes displayed in churches and on suburban coffee tables, portray a rather mature baby, very white, radiantly clean as no baby is ever clean, arms outstretched to reassure the nervous adults around him, intelligent, without need, halo glowing, conscious with an adult consciousness. Super baby. This infant clearly never pooped his diapers. He looks ready to take up the prime ministership. Why did it make me angry? Because when we lose his personality, we lose Jesus. It's a little ironic that in a sophisticated visual age like ours, we still cling to a two-dimensional Jesus. But such is the power of the religious fog. I've been doing a good bit of reading in preparation for writing this book, and the chorus of voices when it comes to the personality of Jesus is unanimous. Everyone talks about his great acts of humility, faith, and compassion. What about his great acts of playfulness or cunning? What about his brilliance, his wit, his irreverence, the scandalous freedom with which Jesus lives, his exasperation and impatience? Not to mention his humanity. We have nearly forgotten that he was a man. Good grief! Your hamster seems to have a more fully developed personality than most portraits of Jesus. Furthermore, the loss of personality confounds our imitation of Christ. What happens is our particular brand of church seizes upon one or two of his virtues as the essence of Christ for us to follow. Justice, mercy, righteousness, whatever. You cannot live a life on one quality any more than you can speak intelligently using one word. Meanwhile, we continue to sound on about the love and compassion of Jesus like the village idiot banging out one note on a piano. After a while, the world turns away. Can you blame them? Alas, if only Jesus' followers shared his personality. That one shift alone would correct so many of the ridiculous and horrifying things that pass for popular Christianity. What is missing in our gospel reading and in our attempts to read what Jesus is saying and doing in our lives right now, this week, is his personality, undraped by religion. Let's see if we can find it. Is Jesus really playful? Our golden retriever has invented a game he plays by himself. Oban will find in the yard the largest rock he can carry, gingerly bringing it to the top of the hill where he drops it. And then, positioned uphill of the rock, he gives it a little nudge with his nose, sending it bouncing down like a rabbit trying to get away and him bounding after. And then he pounces, which, of course, 
ends the chase. So he'll release his prize, send it off with another push, dash down after, crashing through the bushes, nudging it along to give it speed, and then seizing it with another pounce. He'll lie there triumphantly for a moment or two, panting a lion with its prey between its paws, till he gets that wild look in his eye and starts the whole game over. It makes us laugh every time. And no one taught him to do this. He came that way. God made him so. It might seem an odd place to begin a search for Jesus, but this is very close to where John begins his gospel. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. John chapter 1, verse 3. We have a good bit of rubble to remove when it comes to knowing Jesus as he is, So let us begin where John does, with creation. You can learn a lot about an artist by the work he or she leaves behind. The hubris of Hemingway, for example, is difficult to hide, even if he wanted to. So is the tortured darkness of Edgar Allan Poe. The whimsy of Chagall shimmers through his paintings, as does the radiant genius of Van Gogh. The personality of the artist leaks through their work, God included. He reveals himself through nature, as the scriptures testify. This will open up wonders for you about the personality of Jesus. Look at his works of art. I was sitting out back yesterday morning sipping coffee, watching the young chipmunks chase each other at breakneck speeds across the deck. One clever daredevil, hoping to get the advantage, jumped upon the fence rail, and continued the chase from above, leaping at the last moment upon his littermate like a Hollywood stuntman. This morning, one of them adopted a new strategy. The little rascal found an ambush spot clinging from the side of the house where he waited for his playmate to wander by unawares, and then he pounced, and the two of them somersaulted off the deck and into the grass, squealing, only to dash off and do it again and again. Now, what does this tell us about the personality of Jesus, who created these little dynamos with striped mask and boundless enthusiasm? What do they say about his heart? Polar bear cubs will hurl themselves down snowy hillsides headfirst and upside down just for fun. Spinner dolphins love to romp in the bow wake of a boat, cavorting, leaping into the air, and, well, spinning. Otters play tag. Our horses play tug-of-war with a stick, which is really quite funny when you think of how nobly a horse normally likes to carry himself. Who gave your puppy his impishness as he snatches your slipper and races around the house with you in tow? God is more playful than we are, or we are greater at something than he is, a claim no one would dare. My boys are in their late teens now and early twenties, and as such, it is as easy to get them to do some chores as it is to coke ketchup from a bottle. Several days ago, we badgered them into cleaning the windows. Come dinner time, our family seated around the table, the brothers began, as all brothers do, to give each other grief about the day's work. Sam and Luke had each taken halves of a divided window in the dining room. Sam was now bragging about how much cleaner his side was, appealing to the evidence like a trial attorney. 
We turned our attention toward the window in question, and at that exact moment, a robin smacked into Luke's pane, fell to the ground stunned, shook itself, and flew away. We looked at one another, mouths open, eyebrows raised, and burst into laughter. Nature had voted. God had voted. His timing could not have been richer. Whose window is clean? Who slacked on the job? Thwack! Brilliant. You couldn't have asked for a more choice reply. The whole episode was hysterical. Now, if you have any belief in the sovereignty of God, you discover that these moments are orchestrated. Not a sparrow hits a window without your father knowing it, or something like that. Haven't you seen something in nature that made you laugh? Perhaps you didn't make the connection that you were meant to laugh, that it was God who made you laugh, that he laughed with you, and now you know something very important about Jesus. Elton Trueblood conducted a good bit of research in order to write a biblical defense of Jesus' playfulness in his book, The Humor of Christ. It is a very thorough scholarly, and dry book, which is actually pretty funny, a humorless book about God's sense of humor. What does it say of us or of our church culture that such a book even needs to be written, that we have to go to great lengths to wonder if God laughs? How far have we strayed from his heart, his personality? Does Jesus have a sense of humor? Well, he created laughter. And think of the crowd he dined with. These rabble-rousers quickly earned Jesus a reputation as a drunkard and a glutton. And it wasn't because they served water and crackers. This was a wild group. And surely such a crowd got rolling in laughter from time to time, if only from the joy they were experiencing being with Jesus. Now, surely the creator of these colorful characters didn't sit there frowning looking pious, Mr. Killjoy, Mr. I'm above all this. Imagine his own happiness at having these very lost sheep back at his side. But the religious tight shorts didn't like it one bit. They constantly griped about it. Last Christmas, a friend sent me a gift. It was a coffee mug with a classic picture of Jesus on it and below the famous line, Jesus saves. But when you pour hot drinks into the mug, the imagery changes. Christ no longer has a beard, and the expression says, Jesus shaves. My son Luke asked me hesitantly, what do you think Jesus thinks about that? Well, let me ask you, my listener, what do you think? Remove Jesus from the equation for a moment. How do you feel about people who must always be serious who demand that everyone around them always be serious? And what about sour types who can never, ever tolerate a playful tease? Can Jesus enjoy a joke at his own expense? If not, what kind of person is he? I told Luke, I think he thinks it's hysterical. But we have to hide the mug when certain members of our church drop by. Laughter is from God. This one quality alone might save us from the religious veil that forever tries to come in and cloud our perceptions of Jesus. Keep in mind now, Isaac 
means laughter. And who was it that gave him this unforgettable name? It was the Lord. The place to start is with a woman laughing. She is an old woman, and after a lifetime in the desert, her face is cracked and rutted like a six-month drought. She hunches her shoulders around her ears and starts to shake. She squinnies her eyes shut, and her laughter is all china teeth and wheeze and tears running down as she rocks hard back and forth in her kitchen chair. She is laughing because she is pushing 91 hard and has just been told she is going to have a baby. Even though it was an angel who told her, she can't control herself, and her husband can't control himself either. He keeps a straight face a few seconds longer than she does, but he ends by cracking up too. The old woman's name is Sarah, of course, and the old man's name is Abraham, and they are laughing at the idea of a baby's being born in the geriatric ward and Medicare's picking up the tab. They are laughing because the angel not only seems to believe it, but seems to expect them to believe it too. They are laughing because, with part of themselves, they do believe it. They are laughing because if by some crazy chance it should just happen to come true, then they really would have something to laugh about. From Frederick Beekner, Telling the Truth. Old enough to be great-grandparents, Abraham and Sarah are swapping the walker for a stroller. It's just too much. The arthritic patriarch and his wrinkled wife try to hide their laughter from the living God. He seals the humor of the whole thing himself by naming Isaac for them. Laughter. After all, it was God who gave us a sense of humor. Do you really think Jesus came to take it away? Maybe if we allow Jesus the playfulness we see in his creation, we can then see him at play in the Gospels. Perhaps it will help us unlock some of these otherwise perplexing stories. You've been listening to an excerpt from my new book, Beautiful Outlaw, which comes out on October 12th. And we are so excited to tell people about this Jesus, that we've got special offers for you. If you order a copy before October 12th or on October 12th, we want to send you a free second copy that you can give away to a friend because we want to share this with the world. And we've got all kinds of other things, a beautiful book trailer that you can email around to your friends or post on your Facebook site and some free videos and actually some live events coming up. For more information, come to beautifuloutlaw.net.